episode 55, Halo Podcast. And so kind of what I thought about marriage was that you took the person that you love the most in your entire life, and as soon as you got married, they became the person that you hated the most. I kind of internalized that as, why would I want to take my best friend and turn them into my worst enemy? Welcome to Hey Love, engaging you, the reflective woman, in soul care, spirituality, and social spaces through the grid of God's grace. Here, it's all about relationships. Hey Love, did you have a similar notion about marriage as you just heard in the teaser? Or do you still have that notion? I know I did for a long time. I'm your host, Carthy Masters, and I'm so glad you're here. In a few minutes, you and I are going to be hearing from a friend of mine named Lane, who is way wise beyond her years. She's going to tell us how words from a mentor years ago were used to transform her thinking about marriage. Getting engaged did not sound appealing to Lane Harbin. If you've ever watched TV or a single movie that involved people... You can understand why she wasn't excited about it. If you've been wondering, like I did for a long, long time, if marriage was really worth all the trouble, worth the work, um, whether you're single or pondering a proposal right now, or if you've been married for decades like me and Blair, you will get a lot out of this conversation. Because this is not just a fairy tale about two people who felt attracted to each other and then got married and lived happily ever after with a white picket fence or anything. It's really more about how God used a voice that was already speaking truth in a young woman's life and how God used that voice to keep her from missing out on a loving, healing, redemptive, beautiful, lifelong, covenantal relationship that's truly a glimpse of heaven come down to everybody they come across. So stick around. You're going to want to hear this story. I saw a sign outside a gym uh, this weekend in Nashville that said, everyone needs a coach. I tried to take a picture, but my fingers were frozen to the steering wheel. We middle Tennesseans don't know what to do with these temperatures in the teens. Like, we, we just don't know what to do with ourselves. I know you guys up north are laughing at us, but that sign, you know, it's so true what it's saying. Every one of us needs a coach. Every Luke needs a Yoda. Every Whitney Houston needs an Aretha. <laughs> There's another reference for my listeners over 30. You guys will remember that song, How Will I Know, and that cheesy video where Whitney is asking her on-screen mentor, Aretha Franklin, who I believe sang back up on that song. She's asking Aretha for advice about a relationship. She was looking to her as a mentor. Remember that song? How will I know if he really loves me? I'm asking you because you know about these things. Sorry, Blair. You have Poor Blair has to listen to all this. In every good story, though, you'll see that the hero has one of these mentors, a wiser one who's been down the path a little ways. Donald Miller calls this character the guide. Lane has walked with her mentor guide since freshman year in college. April was the one and continues to be one of the main voices speaking into Lane's life, showing her what gospel living really looks like, and more recently, what Christian marriage is really all about. 
Lane Harbin is a deep, deep well for her 20-something years. She describes herself as a writer whose job happens to have her at a marketing agency in Nashville by day. The agency she works for, incidentally, is called Golden Spiral, which is run by another dear friend of ours, John Farkas. This really is a little big down. I love it. I'd say that Lane is a kindred spirit. She and I have much in common when it comes to relationships with our husbands and with our female friends, too. Even though we grew up differently and, well, I got a few years on her. Blair and I met her husband, Thomas, through some music connections. Thomas is multi-talented, a brilliant producer and keyboard player and teacher and performer. He's your basic all-around creative genius and another deep well. He played a key role in my landing on doing what I'm finally doing. He was so encouraging to me as I was first exploring the blogging and writing world. He offered help and equipment and great camera work and really constructive criticism. Lane did, too, even before I ever met her. She gave me some great tips over the phone and just pointed out a couple of things that, you know, needed clarification. It was so great. After a couple of heart-to-heart conversations about, you know, what I do and who I've been speaking to for the last 25, 30 years, um, what my book's going to be about, what I think women need to hear as God has deposited a very specific focused message in me about building relationships. And he's given me a compassion for the women in my sphere of influence. This was back in early 2015. I remember the conversation with Thomas and Lane so vividly. We were sitting in a coffee shop in Brentwood, the four of us. The coffee shop is called The Well. And after they asked me all these questions, they both, almost in unison, said, Oh, Carthy, you need to be doing a podcast. And my answer to them was, Okay, sounds great. What's a podcast? So I'm indebted to Lane and Thomas because they are the ones that introduced me to this big, wonderful world of podcasting. It's the thing that I always say is killing me softly and slowly because, as I've said here before, I'm a survivor of Lyme disease, and Lyme did such a number on me physically. Just, I have a very limited amount of energy. But as time-consuming as it is, I love what I do. Love it, love it, love it. Anyway, Lane and Thomas, you guys are the ones who got me in all this, so thanks a lot, guys. (laughs) Here is Lane Harbin. So tell me, Lane, about your childhood. You know, when I was thinking about this, the one story that came back over and over in my head was the story with my mom. Mm, Um, Great. And my mom and I, we get along so well now that I have moved out of the house. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember in middle school, I was going through one of those mean girls phases where there were just girls who were leaving me out and making me feel like, you know, very, they were being very catty. And as things do when you're, you know, what, 12, 13 years old, it's like, it felt like the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And I know that now looking back, I know my mom was like watching me go through this and just being so upset by it and probably feeling really helpless Mm -hmm. and just like her heart going out to me, but not knowing what to do about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember one day she picked me up from school early and we went and got smoothies and um, pastries from this bakery we really liked. And her just trying, I just remember her sitting with me and not even trying to preach at me or tell me what I needed to do, but just being there with me and just 
for pausing it for a moment and saying, I know this is tough, but we, we can step outside of it and we can just enjoy one another's company. Oh, and so life giving. It really was. And that was the same year that the movie Mean Girls came out. So she was like, You're should kidding. we go see it? And I said no, but probably should have gone because it, it was so appropriate for what I was going through. Wow. Um, so you saw it later? Yeah, I, I did. I still have never seen it. Well, I think it's really good. It stands up to the test of time because I watched it just I've a couple months that. ago. So I will link to that in the show notes. There you go. That is a good reference for yeah. anybody who is going through a tough time because with Because I sure did, man. Yeah, I mean, and my sister is going through a lot of the same things I went through as an early teenager. Yeah. And as an older sister, trying to be there for her, it just makes me realize what a monumental task it is to try and speak truth and life into a teenage girl. Oh. Yeah, it's so tough. Yeah. Mm, I'm glad your mom was there for you. Yeah, she was. And, And especially knowing that we had the tendency to clash, just being at her being able to see exactly what I needed and give it to me that day. Mm. I think I think about that moment all the time because especially as I interact with people who are going through tough things or at a point where you don't really have a solution for them, but really what they need is is answers. It's just for you to show up and be there for them and sit with them Absolutely. and share a smoothie. Oh, that's so sweet. And yeah. a pastry. And a pastry. That's, that's essential. So great. And now you're passing it on to your little sister. I'm trying to. So is it just the two of you? So she's the youngest, and then we have a middle sister, Libby, okay. who I'm 18 months apart from, and she is one of my closest friends. Oh, yeah. What a Although gift. we also really butted heads. I think I might have been really hard to live with. Now that I think about it, <laughs> everybody I, I in my family seemed to really have, find a hard time getting along with me. Oh. <laughs> no, it's what about true. Thomas? Yeah. Well, bless his heart. I think he's had to adjust to that too. Um, but I, I have gone through a big transformation since I was. going off to college versus when I was getting married and Mm. and in my early years with Thomas. Although there's a lot of residual issues and just Mm. um, personality quirks that I know he still has to deal with of mine. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me more about the transformation. What what is that about? Well, when I was in high school, uh, I had a great time and I, I loved being with my family, but I was like the quintessential selfish, um, kind of narcissistic a bit, just kind of only concerned with the things that directly impacted me. Um, And I hadn't really developed an ability to consider other people's feelings in a meaningful way. (laughs) And yeah, and that's that's so true. And that's kind of the the personality I left for college with. So, So I went off to Auburn and freshman year was just this very tumultuous time. I started dating a guy freshman year and it was short-lived. We broke up after like two months. Mm. Um, but, but all that kind of realized, like being away from home, having gone through this breakup, having friends who I didn't really feel like understood me or, or got where I was coming from or knew me, like really intimately knew me on that deep level mm-hmm. that I think we all kind of crave to be known on. Mm-hmm. That at the end of freshman year just left me feeling really empty mm. and really wanting and yearning and also kind of, exhausted by working so hard to find that thing that would would fill me up and make me feel loved and known yeah um and it was around that time and so I should say as some background I grew up going to church and um I was baptized at age six and so I was totally familiar with 
not if not necessarily the gospel, I was familiar with Christianity. You mm-hmm. know, I knew I was there in church every Sunday. Um, I went to a Southern Baptist church, and they, it was the kind of sermon where there were uh, three <laughs> Ps, and they always had to be, you know, bulleted on the PowerPoint slides. <laughs> and so even though it had all the trappings of being in a church community, and I loved being part of that group, the gospel itself never really seemed that revolutionary to me, hmm. you know, because I, I, I kind of only knew it through the Sunday morning sermons, and I kind of only knew it through um, youth group mm-hmm. Bible studies um, mm-hmm. that tended to not be so much based in scripture, but more just mm-hmm. kind of talking about whatever the topic of the moment was. And so when I got to college, my view of Christianity was kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm in it, I'm doing it, but it, it doesn't seem that earth-shattering to Mm. me, you know? And so I kind of had this watered-down view of who Jesus was, what he'd done. You know, I knew all about the sacrifice, the, you know, hearing about how much God loves us and the links he would go to to rescue us, Mm. but it really hadn't sunk in. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, so flash forward into freshman year, and I'm just feeling so broken. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really was a point where I... I'd realized that the things I'd been using to try and make myself feel like this whole person just had totally let me down, and and they weren't doing the trick. And what, Lane, would you say, can you describe what you were using? Like, it doesn't sound like it was drugs. No. Conventional um, drugs, it sounds like. It was seeking love and affection from boyfriends. Um, Mm. It was trying to have friends who thought I was um, interesting and fun. Mm. It was um, working really hard to create this image of myself mm-hmm. that uh, was, was appealing, I guess. To- so you were seeking approval. You were performance-based, would you say? Let me think about that for a second, because yeah. it was a very specific feeling. Totally. And it wasn't Take necessarily... I definitely wasn't the good girl. You know how I know a lot of my friends who grew up in Christian households, they say that they got stuck on being the, the woman who did it, everything right, and mm. who um, never let anybody down. That wasn't mm. me. I was definitely more on the rebellious side. Mm. You know, I, I had no problem with drinking. I had no problem with pretty intense makeout sessions with <laughs> these guys who had me. And, and so it was almost more of a sense of wanting someone or something or some relationship where I could be fully known and loved. And um, so it was, it was really seeking that love and affection. Yeah. And so you never could get it. So it sounds like God brought you to the end of yourself. Yeah, yeah. And so that first year. When I think about that, I really do think about the point where I am just totally emptied out. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing I've tried up until this point has worked. And um, I remember going to get coffee with one of my friends who had met at church in Auburn. Um, her name was April Johnson, and she was four years older than me, which was awesome because she just had so much more perspective than I could have as a mm-hmm. freshman at Auburn. Mm-hmm. And I just sat down with her, and I was essentially just like, I don't know what I'm doing, mm-hmm. which was totally not in my personality to admit that yeah. ever. You know, it I always wanted humility. to make sure that I looked like I had it all together and was totally confident. And so sitting down with her and being like, I don't know what I'm doing was 
it was a big moment for me. And that was kind of the moment where in admitting that I didn't know what I was doing and admitting that what I had been doing wasn't working and that I Mm. felt so exhausted and so weary Mm. from trying to find love and affection and in all these other places, that was, that was kind of the moment where I realized that God could be fully known, Mm. um, that he could be that kind of like rich relationship, not just a sermon on a Sunday, not just a PowerPoint slide, you know, but Mm. a real active living relationship. And, and furthermore that he wanted to know me. And wow. Yeah. So that was when I really started to, was definitely when I understood that I needed God because up until then, if you don't understand your need, then you don't really get the gospel. Like if you can't see yourself as really being broken and weary and exhausted and empty, like I felt in that moment, you're not going to be able to understand then why you even needed to be saved. You're not going to be able to understand why you needed someone like Jesus to Mm. make that sacrifice for you so you could have a relationship with him. And so whereas before when I was growing up in the church, the gospel just kind of seemed bland to me. That's a great word. That that Land. was totally my experience. But after realizing how broken and sinful I was, all of a sudden the gospel became it came from black and white into color. Oh, I mean it was that's great. So, and that was just the start of my mm. pursuing Christ or like I guess opening myself up to be pursued by him. Mm. Um, but but it was definitely realizing that the character of Jesus that was hmm. kind of the beginning of that journey. So great. Yeah. And the girl's name was April. And so would you say that the relationship with her must have had a lot to do with that? Absolutely. Yeah. So she was like a catalyst or her conversation with her was the catalyst. And would you say that she modeled for you what gospel living might look like? Yes. And I would say it wasn't one conversation it was multiple, probably hundreds of conversations with her. She was the person my freshman year who showed up and raised her hand and said, I'll be the person that you can talk to. I'll be the person who you can ask questions to. I'll share my life with you so you can get a glimpse into what it's like to be four years down the road and Mm. what God working in all these different areas of my life is going to look like, which was so important to me because she didn't hold back. You know, when we were dating at the same time and she was totally open with me about what it looked like to date in a Christ-centered way. And mm. um, she, she was, we had a relationship from my freshman year through we're still talking on the phone today. Oh, that just makes me want to cry. Yeah. Every college girl needs an April. I know, I know. Right? And I, I really wanted, with knowing how great it was to have an April in my life, in, oh. you know, we would get together weekly and she would ask me what was going on or and then speak truth and life into whatever it was in a way that I didn't feel preachy. And that was really important to me, especially as like someone who was just kind of dipping her toe into what it really meant to go full throttle into loving Jesus and living a Christ-centered life. So good. The fact that she was super open with her mistakes and Mm. super open with the things that she was struggling with, that made Mm. it, again, knowing like, how sinful and broken we are just opened our conversations up to the ways that God is intervening in our lives and oh, amazing. helping us through that. Yeah. And so. I love the way you described her. She's the one who raised her hand and said, I'll be here for you. Yeah. And that, oh. that person is 
not easy to find. No. I mean, I know that in my life, the women who have been older than me and willing to just dive into whatever was going on with me have been some of the most influential people whose wisdom I still look for today. You know? So great. Yeah. And you're still in touch with them. Yeah. And so now she's married, has a child, um, is her husband's becoming a pastor. And so she's got even more wisdom to give. And I'm just calling her up and trying to squeeze it out of her. (laughs) So would you say it was like a formal discipleship thing that you guys were doing? Yeah, it was. So it was like, I think one of the first years my church had kind of gone into more of a discipleship mentality. Mm. And I met April um, probably in the first couple weeks of going to this church. Mm. And it was it was definitely immediate compatibility. You know, so we great. our personalities just clicked. She called me up and it honestly felt like dating almost. <laughs> and how like, oh, I I think this could work, but what do they think? <laughs> like we need to define the relationship. And she asked me one day and you could tell she was so nervous. She was like, um, I would really like to disciple you Aww. and here's what that would look like. Um, would you be interested so in that? Sweet. And you could tell she was just like, please please say yes. And I, of course, was like, yes, I I love that. I love that somebody would want to put the time and effort and emotional energy into helping somebody else. And and she was so vulnerable with you. Yeah, she was. You didn't have to ask her. She sought you out. That's amazing. So did you and April go through a Bible study together, or do you have a favorite one that you remember? You know, I was thinking about this. April and I tended to just kind of have conversations yeah. which was exactly what I needed at that yeah. point. Um, but I do remember a Bible study that I was going through with a small group around that same time. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the name of it, but this Bible study was taking the entirety of Scripture Ooh. and tracing God's plan through it, which mm. yeah, sounds kind of like, okay, that's what the Bible is. It was God's plan for all these no, different people No, it reminds groups. me of Walk Through the Bible. Was it that doesn't ring like a bell. Um, but essentially, it took hmm. the gospel, um, God's plan for Jesus to come and rescue his people, hmm. and trace it back, starting in Genesis and working all the way for, through Revelation. Ooh. Just showing. That sounds good. And it, it showed like all the um, proto Jesus figures that had come before him. So, looking at Adam and, and the way that he failed in being that perfect son yeah. who could rescue yeah. us. and and looked at Noah and I mean biblical figures that are really revered and mm. for the way that they follow God but still every single one of them slipped mm. up every single one of them mm-hmm. was not able to be mm. that perfect um, savior figure and then working all the way up into the gospels and seeing so Jesus good. enter the scene and be that perfect savior that yeah. so many people had come before him showing us our need for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that really appealed to me because I was an English major and the idea that, that there was this narrative going through the entire Bible and that so God's good. plan for us began at the very mm-hmm. beginning of the world and yeah. seeing all the ways that he tried to get us there and humans, sinful, broken people that we are couldn't do it by ourselves yeah. and seeing that he knew our character and he knew that we would need a savior and he had it in the works all along mm-hmm. and to me just seeing that like repeated over and over like struggle mercy redemption grace love as this repeat 
repeat exactly <laughs> in every single story. So true. And that was that just was went so far in helping me understand yeah. who God is and who Jesus is and yeah. what the purpose of our lives are in mm. light of that. Um, I don't want to keep throwing curveballs at you, but yeah, bring it on. You're giving so much good gold <laughs> here. Um, encapsulate that in a sentence. What is the purpose of life? Oh boy, <laughs> that was not on the list of questions. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that the purpose of life in light of the gospel is to bring heaven to earth as Jesus' people. I like how you word that. Yeah, and that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately because of how broken the world is mm-hmm. and how you can see that need in a lot of what's going on, especially right now. And maybe it's just because I'm in my mid-20s and all of a sudden paying attention to kind of the state of the world as opposed to just being kind of interested in what's going on in my life. Yeah. Um, But I think our purpose is to bring heaven to earth by redeeming our relationships, redeeming our communities, redeeming our government, our schools, our careers. And that, that's more of an ongoing effort than something that's going to have its final end in our lives because that, you know, I think of the new heaven and the new earth. Mm. And um, I believe that as Christians, we really have the power to see and bring about small glimpses of what it's going to be like when we are all redeemed. And so, and I see those, yeah, I see those moments in my life and they sometimes are brief and fleeting, but I can see what it would mean as the church to bring heaven to earth. And that's kind of what I chase when I'm in my bright mind, you know, and when I, when I have that eternal perspective. Can you describe one of those glimpses of heaven on earth? I'll give you a few because they happen on just different planes. Like for me and my work, Mm. when I see heaven on earth. Um, as a writer, I believe that God gives us all of our skills, whether it's writing for me, music for Thomas, podcasting for you, um, and He gives us those as tools to carry out His purpose on earth. Yeah. And so when I'm writing and I kind of break through my own hang-ups and issues and I'm able to capture something true on paper, mm. that feels like a moment of heaven on earth to me because that... that awesome. <laughs> That's the moment where it's so like good. the thing that I'm good at doing and the thing I love doing align with the purpose I'm doing it for. And that, that moment to me is transcendent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think we all have those moments. Yeah, where you feel like you're part of something much bigger than just you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, your writing is poetic, I will say. Thank I mean, you. The bits that I've read on your blog are just delightful, so I'll link to that too. And tell me more glimpses. Um, So another example of seeing heaven on earth, and this one's a little bit more complicated because I'm still kind of thinking through my role in it, but um, I think that racial reconciliation is something that Christians have an ability as a church, as a community, to bring to our current circumstances Mm. in a way that reflects the gospel. And so an example of this is that I have um, friends, Will and Erica, who um, I know through Thomas, we've known them for several years, and they are 
God-loving Christians who have moved into a majority black neighborhood for the sole purpose of desegregating their lives, ministering to the people that they feel God has called them to Mm -hmm. in a real way that costs them. It costs Mm -hmm. them, you know, they have to make sacrifices. They, um, Mm -hmm. it's an, it's an emotionally exhausting because a lot of the people that they love and are around and consider friends and, and neighbors, uh, have needs that are unlike anything that they experienced when they were living in East Nashville. Wow. And going over there, having tea with them, and looking at the way that they are directly answering God's call in their lives to be the bringers of love and mediation mm. and justice, to so me, is cool. like a very radical way of, of looking at what it means to be a Christian and mm. what it means to bring heaven to earth. Love and it. so, I mean, and it's, it's a complicated thing to kind of talk about and think about mm-hmm. and figure out what the next steps are. But I think seeing them really ready to tackle those questions mm-hmm. and doing it as believers and, and knowing that that's something God has called them to, mm. to me is like, it, it's a very hopeful oh, thing. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that makes you, okay, I can get up this morning. <laughs> right. You hope. Exactly. What do you hope a close friend might say at your funeral? Okay, this one totally stumped me. Did it really? Yeah. So let me turn it back on you. What <laughs> What would you want a close friend to say? <laughs> um, she left it all out on the field. <laughs> Basically just she poured herself out and gave it her all. That's good. <laughs> That's really good. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking of... A specific close friend. Yeah. And I'm going to try and imagine what I would love for her to say. (laughs) I think I would want her to say that Lane was vulnerable and honest, even when it hurt, so that she could love the people in her life the best she could. Mm. Something like that. That's good, too. (laughs) And even if it hurt... Tell me what you're thinking when you say that. How uh, could loving ever hurt? Well, I think that, um, and I don't think I'm there yet. Like, I think if, if I died tomorrow, she might say some nice things, but I don't know if she'd go all that, that far. But I want to be the kind of person who people in my life, like my close circle of loved ones, know without a doubt that no matter what sacrifice is necessary, no matter... Um, how inconvenient or painful it is for them to draw me into whatever they're going through, mm-hmm. they can do it and not think twice because I am ready to, like you said, just pour myself out into loving them. Mm. Have you ever experienced maybe a hard conversation or a scenario in a friendship where it was actually hard to love like that? I think the best examples I have of someone loving like that aren't me. Ah. Um, I can think of dozens of times where Thomas has done that for Mm -hmm. me. And so that's kind of more what I'm modeling it off of, not my past victories Mm. by any means, but but more the people in my life who have surprised me and astounded me by being unfaltering in their love and support of me, Mm. even when I (laughs) was being horrible. Wow. You know? And Thomas, Mm. my husband, is a lot more mature than me in a lot of ways Mm. and one of them is in patience 
love and sacrifice. Uh. Like the way that he <laughs> does not think twice when it comes to being there for me, giving me whatever I need in that moment, um, no matter what it costs him. Because mm. a lot of times it does cost him. It costs him not giving in to his own needs and his own, um, like when I think about us having fights in our marriage, like it feels good in the moment to be able to have the upper hand. It feels good to um, hold something over somebody else's head. You know, mm. well, you never did this for me. You know, I needed you when I was in this same like low spot and you didn't show up mm. and give it your all. So why mm. should I do it for you? So honest. I mean, I, I, that's, that's kind of what my perspective can be when I'm not at my best. And Thomas has really given me an example of how to love somebody without them having to earn it, mm. you know? <laughs> um, and I think in a lot of my life, I've definitely wanted people to earn my love. And so it feels unnatural wow. to just give it um, graciously without having terms or a contract. But that's, that's something that Thomas has been phenomenal at showing me and teaching me along the way. Such an honest confession. Yeah. And having it lived out, that's the way it's caught. Mm-hmm. And Thomas and I met and started dating when I was 19. Wow. So my sophomore year. So after that kind of freshman year I described, Thomas came onto the scene. And he had a lot to deal with in me. Mm. But the challenge of learning to love him was probably one of the quickest crash courses in understanding God's love for us. Hmm. Um, because, yeah, I had just never been in such close proximity with somebody that I saw all their flaws, their quirks, their um, habits, the bad side of them. Mm. And even more than I was seeing those things in Thomas, they were being revealed to me and myself. Hmm. And I really don't like that. I mean, mm. that, that, like I was saying, I love the sense of having control over my image mm. and how I come off to people. But when you're in a relationship like a marriage or even a close friendship, mm. there's no hiding that. Oh, yeah. And that's really uncomfortable. Yeah. And so that was like the thing that caused probably the most arguments in our early relationship and into our marriage and still today is just mm. that feeling of I'm seeing something in myself right now and I don't like it and I don't want to confront it, but I kind of have to because otherwise <laughs> there's somebody right there I'm going to be hurting. And so when you say I'm going to confront something in my own self, mm-hmm. it's like you're confessing your sin to Thomas. Yes. Yeah. Well, let me think of a good example of this. So I think it's really easy for me to ignore the things, the sinful parts of myself when it's just me, you know? Mm-hmm. And even when I just have, you know, close friends that are more like acquaintances and, <laughs> or coworkers where I'm kind of just seeing people who I don't really have to get deep with them. I don't really have to get into the muck and the mire with them on a daily basis. Yeah. So it's really easy to see myself through their eyes as somebody who's got it together and who's a good person and who... Um, is friendly and gracious and, you know, that's about it. Yeah. But then when you're, as you know, when you're married to somebody, oh boy. there's no escaping it. And if, like Tim Keller says, to be known but not loved is our worst fear. To be loved but not known isn't satisfying. Mm-hmm. But to be fully loved and fully known is the best kind of love because it's the love that is reflective of God's love for us. Yeah. 
So yeah, being fully known can be a painful process. Yeah. But being fully loved after that, like I've seen Thomas do with me over and over and over again, mm. is again, a transcendent, supernatural, gospel-rooted feeling. He definitely just had to bear with me through some growth mm. and um, learning things the hard way, often mm. actually pretty much always through hurting him in some mm. way. So the fact that he's still hanging around is pretty reassuring. <laughs> he adores you. I know that, which you I'm know. glad I, uh, I know it because I really appreciate it. Like, yeah. he's crazy about me. He absolutely It's a great is. feeling, and I'm crazy about him. <laughs> when he first came over here without you, he showed us pictures from your blog and then different wedding pictures and stuff, and just he had stars in his eyes. <laughs> I have you to can tell totally you about, see it. I have to tell you about the first time I met him. What? Because that is like the epitome of what you're just describing. Yeah. So when I met him, it was actually the end of my freshman year. I was still dating that guy I had the short-lived Uh-oh. relationship with. Yeah. And that's actually how I met Thomas. My now ex-boyfriend introduced me to Thomas, who was a friend of his. <laughs> and I was writing. I had a blog. I was like writing a lot about music at that time. And... We were at church. It was Sunday morning, and he came up to me, introduced himself, and said, I'm Thomas. I'm your biggest fan. Oh. <laughs> because he'd been reading my writing, <laughs> which is funny. It's, it's really adorable. funny for us to look back on now because he, he honestly still is my biggest fan. I totally can see that. Like, he has been the totally cheerleader in every single thing oh. I've wanted to do or tried to do. And he has that. He has that personality, as you know. Absolutely. But he is like, (laughs) if I want to go after something, he is there, like, rooting me on, helping me. (laughs) No matter what it is. No matter what, yeah. Or how outlandish your scheme is. Right. I can totally imagine. Which is great, because we really are very different, and I... He, the way he approaches life and relationships with reckless abandon and not really fearful of being let down or mm. not getting that level of energy returned mm-hmm. is amazing to me because I am like, have always been very guarded and mm-hmm. wanting to make sure that if I went after something, I would succeed. If I invested in a friend, they yeah. would be 100% into it too. In return, yeah. And Thomas has totally flipped that on its head for me and showed me what it's like to live a life where you give yourself not thinking about what you're going to get back. You guys sound so much like me and Blair. Really? Yeah. Who? He's the one who just lays down his life. And yeah. I was completely guarded and arms up the whole time, you know, the whole time recording, dating, I had an exit strategy and warned him, you know, if you ever do this or this, I'm, I'm going to leave you. You know that after we get married. I mean, it was, oh, <laughs> I practically had to be hit over the head to get engaged. That sounds exactly like me. And he is like, um, every time where I might have indecision or doubt, he has come onto the scene with so much confidence and so much wow. assuredness. That it kind of That's blasted him. my fears out of the water. Wow. Like, from our first date when he did this whole big thing <laughs> of asking me out by leaving this, you know, cryptic note in my room and having us pass back and forth the date and the time and the location. 
in this really fun way to our third date, which he blindfolded me and took me on an airplane and flew me to Gulf Shores for the day. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, that was our third date. I texted all my friends after it was over to let them know what they had happened. What would have happened? And they were like, "So, are you engaged now? Because that's more of a proposal type thing." That was your not third really date. a third date kind of thing. That's but it, but it's which it sounds crazy, but it is so true to his character. Is like wow. once he was sure, there was no stopping him. He knew. Mm-hmm. So how how long after? The day trip to the beach was the proposal. Yeah, two and a half years from plane to proposal. Oh, that and is I took so... a lot of convincing too, <laughs> because I was, even though I really loved him, I kind of had this vision for myself about being a successful, independent career woman and leaving Auburn and moving off to like some really cool city and just getting this awesome job and. <laughs> Thomas seemed to kind of be getting in the way of my feminist agenda. <laughs> so I took some serious, long conversations. And I also, at that point when I was thinking that Thomas would somehow be an obstacle to achieving that, I really didn't have a good idea of what marriage meant or what that mm. relationship would be like. Mm. I think early on I was really viewing it as kind of the end of me being my own person and mm. the end of me having... Um, goals and dreams of my own and actually april was there for me and she helped me learn about what a gospel-centered marriage looked like Mm. and really painted a picture of what it's like for two people to come together in that kind of intimate relationship and not be just themselves not just be the sum of their parts but something greater than that through the marriage relationship and as, as I like kind of learned from her and read into some books on it, I read The Meaning of Marriage before we got engaged, and it was phenomenal. It, oh. t- it changed the way I thought about being a wife and having a spouse. Um, by the time he proposed, I'd come around, and not come around so much as totally transformed the way I viewed marriage, and it's honestly been way better than I even thought it was when I signed up to marry him in the first place. Oh. Yeah. And it's brought out the best in you, would you say? Absolutely. Enhanced. Not taken anything away. Not taken anything away. I mean, he has been this incredible source of support and a foundation for anything I've wanted to achieve by myself. Yeah. And and it's also so much sweeter to Mm. share with him. Mm. Um, Yeah. Thomas has helped me get like every job that I've ever had he he was the one who kind of pointed me down this road of becoming a writer and you know because he knew me back when I wasn't even thinking about Hmm. what I would do after college Hmm. and so so yeah he is he and our marriage have just been a soft place to land a Hmm. you know a, a comforting place that feels like home so that I'm stronger and more capable of doing things outside of our relationship mm. because of the love. I don't That sounds kind of cheesy. <laughs> but do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like he's your anchor and he completes you. And it, you can't say this kind of thing without <laughs> sounding cheesy, but it's like, it's hard to find words that don't sound cheesy. Yeah, so 
So no, it didn't take anything away from me like I thought it was going to. It didn't, it wasn't the end of the road for me. It was this brand new way of approaching everything in life where I had a partner by my side who was going to support me in it. And I didn't have to do everything by myself. I didn't have to carry the weight of everything in life alone. Now I have somebody else to do it with. I've always had trouble describing what it's like to be married, especially since a lot of my friends aren't married yet or they're still single. I got married pretty young, like relatively. I was 22. Mm -hmm. And it's the kind of thing you can't really understand until you're in it because it isn't like this one addition to your life. Like, oh, it's everything's the same, but there's this guy living with you. It's totally different in every way. You see everything differently. Yeah. I think I was really affected by the portrayals of marriage I'd seen on TV and in pop culture. Yeah. Um, Because aside from my parents' marriage, I'd never really seen a marriage relationship up close. Mm -hmm. And, And so kind of what I thought about marriage was that you took the person that you love the most in in your entire life and as soon as you got married they became the person that you hated the most wow which wow. is heartbreaking but it's so accurate yeah you know because wow. i had seen enough people who had gotten married and just weren't happy yeah that i kind of internalized that as mm. why would i want to take my best friend and turn them into my worst enemy That is such a good way to put it because, I mean, for years I wondered why are few and fewer people getting married? But when you put it that way, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So I think there are a lot of of things in our culture are are screaming that message at us, Mm -hmm. that that's kind of the picture that they're painting of marriage. This is what it is. Yeah. And, And so I really needed to clear out those, like, false views of marriage. And, and honestly, that might be the reality of marriage for a lot of people, but I wanted to see what what should a beautiful gospel-centered marriage actually look like. Yeah. And so media marriage, um, along with just kind of talking to April and other women in my life about what is marriage actually, what's the purpose of it, what is it like in your day-to-day life, like how do you change, how do they change, is it for the better? Mm. Those were all kind of the questions I had going into it, and I was totally open to just being like, yeah, it doesn't sound so great. Marriage isn't for me. Wow. And I still wasn't totally sure what to expect when Thomas and I get married. And mm-hmm. I like to say um, that, yeah, the, the guy I was facing at the altar when we got married on May 17th, it was essentially a stranger. You know, mm-hmm. we'd been dating for two and a half years, more so for you and Blair, because he, <laughs> you'd been dating for three months, it sounds like. <laughs> That was yeah. stupid. Don't even use yeah. our example. <laughs> don't get engaged on your third Seriously, date. Seriously, don't ever do that. Yeah, but but facing him at the altar, I think he was essentially a stranger to me because I had no idea what it would actually be like to spend the next 60 years of my life with him. Crazy. And you can't know that, but the thing I knew for sure, even though I was kind of so-so on marriage and Thomas, yeah, seemed like a nice guy, but I didn't really know him that well. <laughs> Um, the thing I did know that made me sure that I wanted to tie the knot was the, the way he approached life and the way that he viewed the world and people in the mm. world was the same as me. Uh-huh. We, we shared yeah. that vision for what we wanted our lives to be about. 
good. And that was something that even though they say your personality changes like every five years or something. Really? Yeah, that's what people would tell me before we got married, that even if you guys are compatible now, apparently our personalities change every three to five years. So you'll eventually be married wow. to a complete stranger. So so that kind of, I, <laughs> I absorbed that and I thought, okay, so it's not really about do we like the same music? Do we like have the same hobbies? It's really going to be about do we have the same vision for what we want our lives to be about and Good. that's something that will carry us through everything else mm-hmm. and yeah you had that common denominator and Good. yeah reading meaning a marriage as somebody who was still in the dating phase of life it, it was able to get through to me as um seeing marriage as again heaven coming to earth in Beautiful. all its pain in all marriages complications and pain and sacrifice um marriage was designed as a thing to bring the eternal to earth in these two people's relationship and to me that was beautiful and that that was something worth fighting for that was something worth giving up comfort in some situations to get to know somebody else on that deep intimate level yeah that was something that i could really Uh, get behind was just Mm -hmm. the idea that God designed this covenant for us Mm -hmm. and in doing so he had given us a way to demonstrate the gospel to other people just through our relationship and that yeah it would be hard but the experience of loving one another knowing one another and choosing one another throughout that process would give us an even deeper understanding of who he was and what he did for us so that more so than just like the white dress or, wow. you know, the new tableware. Mm. I'm so glad you guys got married. Me too. <laughs> okay, Lane, what do you wish you could tell the 20-year-old version of yourself about relationships? So when I was in my 20s, and I still have this problem now, but I, I feel myself having the urge when I'm in a conversation with somebody to make sure that they know where I stand on something. And I would tell my 20-year-old self, shut up (laughs) and start listening more to stop thinking about how I was going to respond when I feel the urge to make a statement. Just instead, (laughs) ask a question because I think that's where relationships live. Where relationships live. Yes, that's so true, Lane. Such a great phrase. I love the way Lane chooses her words, just her choice of words. I am not surprised at all to hear that she was an English major. She said so many things today that I want to hang on to, like bringing heaven to earth, making known the name of God through glimpses of of redemption in our relationships and our work. And I love where she said, struggle, grace, redemption, repeat. When she was describing, you know, where she got to the end of herself in college and she finally admitted that she was clueless, I love the humility in that. And I really appreciated hearing what she said about need, too. It's really important to know your need. Otherwise, why would you need the gospel? This is what one pastor I know says all the time. Self-sufficiency is an enemy of the gospel. It's so true. Lane also said that as she began to pursue God and really get to know Him, not just about Him, she learned that He wanted to know her too. You know, the same is true for you and me, love. Your Maker wants to know you and be intimately known by you too. 
Well, we've talked a lot on here about how having a mentor to walk with through life, it's so imperative. Lane still keeps in touch with her mentors, which is so cool. They are truly living out Titus 2, which says, But as for you, teach the things which are in agreement with sound doctrine, which produces men and women of good character, whose lifestyle identifies them as true Christians. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith and love, in steadfastness, Christ-like in character. Older women, similarly, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or addicted to much wine, teaching what is right and good, so that they may encourage the young women to tenderly love their husbands and their children, to be sensible, pure, makers of a home where God is honored, so that the opponent of the faith will be shamed, having nothing bad to say about us. So we will be proved trustworthy so that in every respect we will adorn and do credit to the teaching of God our Savior for the remarkable undeserved grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to reject ungodliness and worldly immoral desires and to live sensible, upright, and godly lives, lives with a purpose that reflects spiritual maturity in this present age, awaiting and confidently expecting the fulfillment of our blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who willingly gave himself to be crucified on our behalf, to redeem us and purchase our freedom, and to purify for himself a chosen and very special bride to be his own possession, who are enthusiastic for doing what is good. One thing I'll say about that love is um, what Paul's describing to Titus and what Lane described that she gained from her April. You know, you can't get that kind of connection from reading a book or an author of the book. You can't get that from a YouTube video. I started to look up something the other day on the old Google.com, and I could not believe how many questions came up as, like, you know, the most frequently asked questions on that subject— These are questions that used to be answered face-to-face, eye-to-eye, mature woman to younger woman. Spiritual wisdom is caught through relationship, you know? I heard a younger woman say recently, oh, you can just read a book, and then that woman who wrote the book, she more or less becomes your mentor. I'm here to say... (laughs) Not so much. I beg to differ with that theory. The kind of mentor that can talk you down off a ledge or speak truth into your heart when you're about to break up with a godly man just because you're scared, that mentor has to be able to look you in the eyes. You have to be able to look her in the eyes too. You need to be able to see the love in her eyes for you that she cares about you and wants only the best for you. That is a face-to-face thing. You got to have it. Real women need real relationships. There's just no substitute. Don't settle for a YouTube mentor or even a podcast mentor. I mean, I love being one of the voices in your ear, but I want to challenge you to go find somebody that you can actually meet with for coffee this weekend or when the kids are in school. Somebody who knows your kids' names, somebody real and in living color. Do you have somebody like that in your life? Do you have someone you can trust to speak to your fears and take you to the Word and point you to Jesus? I pray that for you because there's nothing like it. There's nothing like the real thing. There, that's enough of my soapbox on why you need to get a mentor. 
Well, love, like Libby Diaz from last week's episode 54 and so many other young women I've interviewed over the last couple of years, Lane is passionate about helping the underserved and about seeing justice prevail. So naturally, when Lane said that she and Thomas wanted International Justice Mission featured as their charity of choice this week, I thought, well, of course, that makes perfect sense. IJM, in case you haven't heard of them, is a group of lawyers and social workers and freedom fighters out of Nashville. Justice is their middle name and the heartbeat of this organization. I have the utmost admiration and respect for their founder, Gary Haugen, who has done so much on behalf of victims in India and all over the world for um, victims of human trafficking. And you know, in my 20s, I was bent on going to India. I've talked about that a couple times here. My plan originally was to live in a girls' orphanage and work with um, young survivors there. Then I met Blair and all my plans changed. (laughs) But the vision is not totally dead. I remember going to a couple of meetings at my old church when iJam was um, first gaining traction back in like the early 2000s. They had made a few trips to India and we were hearing these fantastic rescue stories that just sounded straight like out of a movie. Oh, I wanted to go so bad. But I had a little one at home and a husband who traveled and um, an adoption that we were working on. It It just wasn't my time. So I've had to be creative and support them in different ways over the years. And like my friend Steph says, since I couldn't go back to India, God brought India to me. (laughs) Through the miracle of adoption, he's done that. He's done that twice. And I count myself so blessed. One of my dreams, though, is still to go back to India and put my arm around one of these survivors and just listen to her story. I can't make it through the iGym website without weeping because it has so many pictures of these little girls in India that look just like my Davy. So I'm just going to try to read you this one little panel and we'll see if I make it through the screen. There's this sweet Indian man who looks like he's from my region of India in the south. And after he was rescued, he told an iGym worker, we would think to ourselves, if there is a God Won't he open his eyes and come here in the form of a man and bring us freedom? Oh, does that choke you up like it does me? When you go to the IGM website, you'll see story after story like this. And in your heart, the truth will ring as it does in mine. I just imagine a rescue worker saying back to this man and countless other survivors, yes, yes, precious one, there is a God, and he did come in the form of a man to bring you freedom. Yes, his name is Jesus, and he is the light that you see in our eyes. He is the one who sent us to rescue you. We are on his mission. He is the one we're representing. Wow. Thank you, Gary, for following the Spirit's lead after your trip to Rwanda back in 94. I loved hearing your story. So, do go look up IJM and donate big there. And ask the Lord to show you how you might get involved, how you might join Him in the work that He's doing to set the captive free. 
Speaking of setting captives free, it's Martin Luther King Day. It's where we're, we're recording this. February is coming up. It's Black History Month, and it's Valentine's Day. There's so many fun things that we've got in store. we got Hey Love Henna, which is a fun new project we're working on. I'll tell you all about that soon. But um, as you know, next week, I'm going to be gone. I mentioned that Hey Love is going to be on K-Love. My husband is playing keyboard on this cruise, and I get to tag along. So excited. So we're going to take two weeks off from the podcast, but we will be back on February 7th. So for the next two weeks, I'm going to encourage you to play catch up. If you haven't heard the interview with Lloyd Shadrach, go back and catch that. That was episode 51, Light That Shatters Your Darkness. Oh, we've got a lot of good feedback on that one. And Mary Beth Chapman's Eeyore's Requiem for Joy was just before that one, episode 50. That one got a lot of fun feedback too. So go catch up on those and we will see you back here February 7th. Till next time. Bye, love. My thanks to the heroic, handsome, most talented rock star, keyboard player, producer, engineer extraordinaire, and my best friend, Blair Masters, for setting it all to music. And thank you for joining us. Come on back, and we'll talk more about how you can find your happy by living life more connected. Do you and Tom still eat lunch together every day? Um, we do a lot. His schedule's a little bit more packed this semester, so he's not always home for lunch. But I also sometimes just don't want to be around anybody when I'm eating lunch. I, like, and he gets it, huh? Uh, he has learned to. That's <laughs> 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 <laughs>